Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, fellow slobs. This week, we're diving into Joan Osborne and her inescapable 1996 hit, One of Us. Written on a whim by Eric Bazilian of the Hooters, the song asks important questions about a supposed higher power, including, if God had a face, what would it look like? Well, we'd speculate that he or she might look like this week's guest, Meeting of Important People's Josh Verbanitz. Will we put thunder on Joan's name? Or would we rather she remain a stranger on the bus trying to make her way home? Stay tuned to find out. Josh, it's awesome to have you on the show, man. I feel like it was just a couple months ago. One of the bands I play in called Pack opened for your band, Meeting of Important People, and we got to talking about One Hit Wonders. And I said, man, you got to be a guest on One Hit Thunder. And here we are today to talk about your favorite artist of all time, Joan Osborne. Am I exactly? Yeah, man. It was I'm probably exaggerating that part. <laughs> born in the green room. And here we are. Yeah. I'm, I'm psyched to be here. Yeah. I don't think Joan Osborne's really your favorite artist of all time, but, but this song is pretty good. Did you choose this song for a reason or was it just because it was one of the ones left? 
She might. I don't know if she's my favorite of all time. She's definitely a top eight hundred. Okay. She's in the, my top eight hundred artists of all time. Okay. I mean, I love this song. I to me, it represents a time of um, hearing like really kind of organic, and this maybe ages me, right? Makes me sound like a cranky old dude or something. But rock radio and pop radio, there there was certainly a lot of kind of organic people that sounded like they were in the same room together playing these these sometimes really simple hit songs. And so this song, I loved it at the time. I loved it as a preteen or I might've been like 13 when it, when it hit, when mm-hmm. it broke. And I love it to this day. I play it for like my kids, my kids rock out to it. And st- I don't know, there's something honest and timeless about it. Right. Yeah. So, so Joan Osborne to me, like really represents a specific time in my life for sure. Cause this is like, I'm 11 or 12 years old. I'm just getting into radio music for the first time. And like Joan Osborne is one of those artists that like, I will not put up a fight about her being a one hit wonder. Like obviously most people, this is the song that they know, but this was like prime me listening to alternative radio and watching MTV all the time. So like there was this moment where I'm like, what are you saying? Right hand man and St. <laughs> Teresa and ladder didn't chart. <laughs> like It's like, cause I just remembered all of those videos on like the alternative top 20 countdown <laughs> this week on MTV. Like here's your top 20 alternative videos this week and being like, Oh man, Joan Osborne's just knocking them out of the park one <laughs> after another. So I've had this relish album since like 1996. I'm not like, surprised that you had this album, man. Of yeah. course you had this album. <laughs> and I learned this actually last year. I never knew this before, but this song that we're going to talk about today, one of us was actually written by Eric Bazilian of the Hooters. Yeah, and that's right. Yeah. We had on the podcast I produced, Chris to makes a podcast. Eric Bazilian came on to talk about writing and we danced, but when we were organizing it with him, to have him on he's like well you guys want me to talk about one of us and i was like <laughs> i was like what and then i found out he wrote one of us i that yeah. that to him was the biggest song he ever wrote you know of course we did and we danced which also amazing huge song but you know eric bazillion's story behind this is so awesome i don't know if you guys looked into like the story behind how he wrote this yeah i mean well, i want to call out one thing because it it has to suck a little bit to like cut your teeth as a singer songwriter. And the only song of yours that ever was a success was the only song you had nothing to do with the writing of. Like that's got to sting just a little bit. Like I know that Eric co-wrote a lot of songs on this album, but if you even look at the track list, this is, this is the song that has no Osborne as a co-writer on it. Like that's gotta, that's gotta be a little bit of a ping in, in Jones, heart a little bit there but uh yeah no the story behind the song is fantastic and how they got her to record it is fantastic i love uh, i love there was a quote that was like they asked her if she could sing it and he's like i think that was a good word choice (laughs) as opposed to would you sing it that's gonna be the approach that i'm gonna take with with my bands from now on i bring a song to the table do you guys think you could play this like could you guys even handle this (laughs) But yeah, I thought this the story behind this was really cool for anyone listening who doesn't know. Eric wrote this song and he had it as like a back in the day. Now, Josh, I'd be interested to know if you ever did this on any of your recordings. Did you ever release an album on a compact disc 
where you had a secret song on it? Did you ever do it? You know what I did? I had compact discs that I would burn where I would have an alternate version of a song. And maybe ah. it would be like the um, when my friends and I had made the recording, but then at the three-minute mark, it turns into the, the disc song about our, our physics teacher. You <laughs> nice. know what I mean? Like we would do the, oh, remember we did that other version? And so then those CDs would inevitably get mixed up and I would accidentally leave one in my mom's car and she'd be like, I don't like what I heard you singing about your physics teacher. <laughs> right. But no, we never, did, we never did the big classic 90s thing of the, you know, 20 blank songs like the mm -hmm. Marilyn Manson thing, right? Or the yeah. Nine Inch Nails where it'd be like a little bleep bleep bloops for 30 tracks and then right. track 99 would be a hidden song. Never, right. yeah. never actually did it. I love that aesthetic. It's a thing of the past. Yeah. Or my favorite things from the past is also because you can still like on Spotify, you can still find the hidden tracks of some of those songs. Mm -hmm. But there's that hand handful of bands like I think Reliant K did it. I know Five Iron Frenzy did it. Less Than Jake definitely did it where you had a hidden track in the front of the album that you had yeah. to scan forward to hear which like those songs are just like lost to the sands of time now because no one figured out how to like right. burn that from the cd into their itunes or whatever i also always loved i think it was corn for follow the leader the first 12 tracks were silent so that the album started on track 13. Wow, <laughs> like, so clever and, and josh <laughs> the the album that you were referring to is nine inch nails broken it was yes. Nine Inch Nails Broken that went up to 99, and then there was yeah. like another song. You had and then the, didn't he, he, yeah. he produced, and there was something with Antichrist Superstar, which oh. he produced that, where they yeah. used a similar, it might have been track 652. They went up, you know, where it was like right. all these one second tracks, right. climaxing in a very dark track. But anyway, the whole point of this was Eric Bazilian, I guess, released a solo album where this song was a hidden track on that album. He had written the song for his then girlfriend, now his wife that he has two kids with. She wanted to know how he used a, I think he had like a digital four track. Might've just been a regular four track at the time. She's, she does not, she's from Sweden and she really doesn't really know much about like recording music or anything like that. She's like, show me how you use that. So he recorded the music for it. And then she's like, well, are you going to sing on it? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, sing on that. I'm just showing you how I did it. So just off the top of his head, he just sang this song. And then they were like, oh, this is pretty good. Use it as that hidden track. And then years later, you know, like we talked about, the producer, Shertoff, right? Rick Shertoff. I guess he had heard the song from Eric. And like Matt said, he said to her, do you think you could sing this? <laughs> not, when, not do you like this or do you want to sing this? Do you think you can? And she did. And when they heard it back, Eric said he put it in the cassette player in his car when he left the studio. And he's like, he started preparing his Grammy speeches, he said, right then. I read that. Yeah. yeah. Isn't For, that amazing, man? How yeah. we, we, we think and we overthink about all the craft and time that goes into songwriting and the way we talk about it. But there has to be 50%, if not more, of, of giant, timeless songs. The story is always... It was something that came to me. I thought it was so simple that it wasn't even worth recording or showing to other people, or it just seems so simple. Or I thought it was already a real song because it seemed so ubiquitous, right? Mm -hmm. We hear that all the time, and it's so often that those really are the things that decades later stick have stuck in, in the public consciousness, you know? It's like the less thought you put into something, yeah. sometimes the more powerful it's, and connect, like it connects in a weird way. It's not <laughs> it's, always the case, but... Go not ahead, always, but... <laughs> frequent frequently that seems to be the story of like oh yeah no i just 
you know, we needed one more song for the album. So I just like went into the room, scribbled something down. And I mean, that's the story with Take Your Pants Off and Jacket. Not that I love either one of these singles, but they were like, oh, there's no hit on this. So Tom wrote First Date and Mark wrote Rock Show. And they're now probably the two most known songs on that album. Also, it's 16 hits, if you ask me. Yeah, That's funny, man. It's, it's like it's in our DNA as people or something, right? Songs were always the thing that you were initially using to to make something memorable or to quickly yeah. communicate something right was it mm-hmm. probably from from cave people right try that's probably the birth of music and i think it's so funny we still see it in 2023 the thing that you didn't even know was a song is to other people probably one of the most memorable things you've ever done as an artist you know i think sometimes whatever comes instinctually and naturally to you as an artist is going to resonate with people instinctually and naturally as a listener and that's why you hear these stories over and over. I do multiple music podcasts, but I hear these stories from artists all the time. And in my experience, I've had it happen. It was that song that you wrote in 15 minutes that really, you know, makes an impact on people. I mean, why I will say it's not always the case is that it took Freddie Mercury like seven years to write Bohemian Rhapsody. So yeah. it's not always the case. Sometimes you can put a lot of work into something and have it be the greatest thing ever. But well, I think there's yeah. even been some episodes of Demakes. I can't think of them off the top of my head where the artist has said like, oh, no, we had to take like we had to work on this song to sure. get it to where it is. But there is a very there's a higher than you would think amount of songs that are like, oh, yeah, we had 15 minutes in the mm. studio. So we just wrote something real quick and it became the hit. Right. <laughs> so, so Yeah. I feel like for Blink, they're 30 second songs. The ones that they're like, we wrote this in 30 seconds. That's just like, it's Christmas Eve. Okay, not right. good. But the songs yeah. they wrote in five minutes, good. Yeah. And then the songs they wrote in 30 minutes or longer, not as good. So right. it's that for Blink right <laughs> in between. Because they even have, well, we wrote that one too fast. But then they're yeah. like, we wrote right. it pretty fast. Is the prime, the prime I, part. I do want to highlight with Joan Osborne, though, like I started reading the the breakdown of her career and like, the thing that jumped out at me was that this is she was a film student. She went to New York to make movies, did some open mics, and next thing you know, she's like in the late 80s, early 90s hanging out with like Blues Travelers, Spin Doctors, and Jeff Buckley in this whole like weird side music thing that like kind of gets forgotten when people think about what music of the 90s was. Like you're usually just like it was gangster rap and grunge and nothing else. But there was like this whole other weird New York art slash jam band scene that was also like equally blowing up at that time. And the fact that she's like part of that scene from the very beginning is, is wild to me. Cause that's, it took her a while for the, like from her starting to pursue music to this album coming out. It's a good seven years of, yeah, of work, yeah, I think which she's is like, awesome. She's in her thir- maybe 32 or 33 when this track was a, uh... Yeah, was a was a hit. Yeah, she definitely. And I guess has, that's her debut album too, right? This was her first. It's I her think. major debut. She actually right, right. self released her debut album, created oh, her own know. record label called Womanly Hips, and released like a live like a live recording album of her playing clubs and stuff. Do you think of this genre? To me, it's like Alanis Morissette is kind of like the gold standard of this kind of stuff. And to me, it's maybe one of my favorite. When I look back at that era, the songs that I love and the probably the people that I'm trying to emulate when I'm singing are usually female singer songwriters with an alternative, like the, like the yeah. Lilith fair kind of yep. for, be, you know, for lack of a better I'm, term, Some I would of my say favorite that, music ever. Yeah. I would say she fits in the Lilith fair. I don't know if I would 
pocket her with Alanis. I feel yeah. like Alanis was a little bit more grungy than the Lilith Fair scene where like she, when I, I re-listened to Relish today just to prepare for this and I just forgot how bluesy the album is. Like it is like a soulful bluesy album yeah. that just kind of has this slightly pop rock track in the middle of it. That's true. Well, I think of um, you know who else I've been listening to a lot is Sarah McLaughlin, oh, wow. which I didn't realize. I didn't realize at the time that she had like two huge albums in the early '90s and the mid '90s. That stuff is absolutely incredible. I, I yeah. didn't really take it all that seriously at the time. I guess. Oh yeah, building 11, a mystery and Adia and all that yeah. stuff. Amazing songs that like kind of get overshadowed by Arms of the Angel and I Will Remember You for sad animal commercials. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, real, real edgy, you know. I, I loved it. That's another thing. My we we listened to. We blast Sarah McLaughlin. I have two daughters, and they're like, "This is amazing," you know. And it, you just see it hitting another generation. Again. I mean, that it's first really few cool. and Apple record comes to mind as well. And that's it, like another like very soulful bluesy, but like somehow also fit in with the alternative grunge sound in its own weird way. Recently, I heard the drums on that Fiona album, uh, Fiona Apple album. And it, it sounds like what everybody's trying to do now, right? It sounds like a, like just these really interesting kind of crunched out, almost like program drums, but it's, it's someone playing like live loops, I think on, right. on a lot of those tracks. Yeah, there is something that sounds, you said it earlier, real, live, about this. It sounds like real music. You know, not that not that using anything, anything is real music. I just mean it sounds like people in a room making music is what I'm getting at. That's what you said earlier, Josh, yeah. For sure, and it always struck me as a teenager, I thought, oh, this has to be her band. Like, the, I had pictured Alanis Morissette and her live band, which you'd see yeah. in, in the big, like, Woodstock clips and stuff, and Taylor Hawkins playing drums. And so I imagined, oh, this is this is Joan Osborne, and clearly it sounds like a bunch of like, kind of like slacker grungy dudes, right? I imagined dudes in their twenties playing. I didn't realize until later that I think it is the the songwriter is actually on the track, and maybe someone yeah. else from the the right his band. So maybe it isn't an actual live band, live band, but it sure sounds like a group of your slacker friends playing, you know? Yeah. What what's you know what else is really cool about this? I mentioned him earlier, but the producer Rick Chertoff, who did tons of stuff. He was a kingmaker, or maybe I should say queenmaker, in the world of solo women's hits. Because the dude produced the following. Not only did he produce this song, he produced Cyndi Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun and Time After Time, which I think is one of the greatest songs ever written. Time After yeah. Time was actually written by the, written other, by, yeah. the other guy from the Hooters. <laughs> do, do those guys have a Pittsburgh connect? Am I remembering this incorrectly? Philly. Are they from Philly? Philly. Okay, I thought yeah. it maybe Matt's, one time Matt's, I heard Pittsburgh. Yeah. Matt's neck of the woods. Close personal friends of me. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and also this Rick Shertoff also produced Sophie B. Hawkins, Damn, I Wish I Was Your wow. Lover, which, wow. damn, I loved that song as a kid. I had the cassette single as, you know. Whatever that I was probably ten. It's or a good song. Old. It's no "As I Lay Me," but it's a good. It's song. way better than "As I Lay Me." It's way better. Um, I I want to give a couple shout outs here for for Joan Osborne still because as I did more and more research, you know, like there's times where we talk about these artists and we're like, how did how did someone with a song this big, like, not have more success? But I don't think Joan I don't think Joan Osborne ever actually intended to be a success in the first place. <laughs> like you look at like what she's done with her career since and it was like she was a vocalist for The Dead which was like yeah. the Grateful Dead remaining members side project and you know I sent Chris a clip of her like 
singing lead vocals with the the Funk Brothers for doing like a Motown tribute singing uh, What Becomes of the Broken Heart. It she also great. did Heat Wave. It was like, great. And she even said, uh, there was an interview I found where she said like, she was very happy to get out of the 90s limelight as quickly as she did. Because I think she just was someone who was like, I just want to be playing the clubs. Like I, I like she she has that voice of someone who like feel like those people with that real like bluesy soulful voice. It doesn't work in an arena. That's like a you see them in a bar and it's just like raw and gnarly. And if she can take this song and parlay it into just like doing the club scene the rest of her life, I think mm-hmm. she is happy as hell that that's the life that she has because of it. Yeah, what a, what a cool career, right? It really, <laughs> really does seem to have a co- really interesting career and did so many, not only having this giant chart-topping hit, but played with so many heavy hitters, contributed so much for, you know, 20 years or whatever now, more. Yeah, yeah. and she was, what, 19, she, she was 1997's Woman of the Year for Planned Parenthood oh, wow. uh, for wow. promoting the company at the Lilith Fair that year. Nice. Um, so, you know, she, she also, was part of. Li- oh, so she was. She, she, she was literally part, part of Lilith Fair. Yeah. <laughs> OK. Yeah. Uh, hey, I want to tie this song into a couple other one hit wonders that we've talked about on this show. Okay. First of all, Eric, on his demo of the song, sang it in a real low register. And he said he was trying to emulate Brad from the Crash Test Dummies on the demo. And you can oh, nice. and you could kind of hear there is a video you could find of him talk. Him and Joan are both in it. It's like a six minute video where they're talking about the writing of the song and everything. It's real well done. But you can hear the demo being played in there and he sings it like real low. And the other way that I wanted to tie this song into a one hit wonder that we talked about on here. Much like we talked about the Dishwalla Counting Blue Cars song, mm-hmm. how they were receiving death threats and people were pissed off because they mentioned God in their song and said it kind of alluded to God being a woman. Mm. Yeah. Of, of course, people were upset about this song. Of course, people were stupid. People were protesting. Joan got death threats. It's just people were I didn't were realize any of that. I, did, yeah. I didn't know. What's the allegation that... By saying that if God, God that God is in fact not one of us, undefined God, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, right? God's not one it. of us, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Come on, the central like, thesis, the central thesis, yeah. we disagree with, yeah. And yeah. it's it's this the thesis of the song at its core is such a beautiful thesis, which is yes. like treat treat. If you're a religious person, you should be treating the stranger on the on the train and the homeless person as if they were God, with the same level of respect. And and praise that you have for this person that may or may not exist, like that. It's such a beautiful sentiment that's like I love when Christians get angry at stupid shit like that, where it's like. Well, that's another thing. I, that when I said so like, dumb. it just seems like such a different time in in the organic feel of it. But also like I can't personally imagine, I can't imagine that message being a huge pop song right now, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. wherever I am about it, and whatever I felt about it back then, and thought, oh, that's, I'm a. I'm a surly teenager. This is so stupid, but I still can't imagine someone not ironically, because I think she's being honest and serious and, and genuine, um, releasing a song like that and having huge like crossover success with it, you know? Yeah. Well, the same year that this song was a success, 1996, Prince covered it um, and recorded really? a cover of it. Yeah. How Prince did I not know it. that? Yeah, 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 yeah
also on the list of people who've covered one of us, the cast of Glee, Tom Cruise mm-hmm. in the movie Vanilla Sky, and Dr. Evil. Wow. So, right. I, well, of course. Yeah, I, 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 that always comes to mind. So I guess the song was even a punchline already kind of in the 90s, right? Yeah, like by, by then. I think it was this? just because it was... It, it's definitely one of those lyrics that, like can also sound deeper than it actually is like if you put it in the right frame you're just like okay yeah great what if god was one of us seems like if the wrong person's saying (laughs) it then it doesn't work but it seems with i can't imagine someone saying it better than than joan osborne it it became the theme of the joan of uh arcadia tv series was god is god is one of us never heard Um, of it Hey, it, I, I vaguely remember the show, but it was about a woman who could talk to God. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> like, there you go. I got to tell you guys what Eric Bazilian said about it, because in, in reference to the people getting mad about it or whatever, I, I actually, I listened to him and I typed it up as he said it. He said, <laughs> if there is a God, he, she, or it was telling me to tell everyone, don't believe in me. I don't exist. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. If you want to know where everything comes from, study science. And like at the end of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, be excellent to each other. Yeah. Now, that was his quote about it. So I thought that was, was that a pretty good response. recently said that or did, was that like a, a contemporary from, back in the day? Thing? It was from like two years ago. That's that wow. video where you could hear the demo and everything. Yeah. Cool. I, I mean, I, I, I do want to highlight probably my favorite lyric in the song because it actually makes me think of all things <laughs> Indiana Jones, which is... The line, um, the if God had a face, would you want to see it if it meant that you would have to believe in all of the things like heaven and Jesus and the saints and all of the prophets, which it's like, it makes me think of the whole like Harrison Ford in, in Indiana Jones concept where it's like, well, I mean, once you... <laughs> Once you've opened the ark <laughs> and seen a bunch of people's faces melt because of angels exploding out of it, I get. I guess you just have to be like, okay, I guess I have to believe in all of this stuff. Right. <laughs> like, it, it almost makes you wonder if that was one of the more recent times. This is something we should be googling, but you know, mainstream pop songs that mention the proper name Jesus, right? Even that seems like from a yeah. totally different time. Can't really imagine again, for better or worse, an artist in twenty twenty three having a song that invokes the name of Jesus specifically. How, what's the last one? I came in, like the one that came to mind, this is an old song, was Personal Jesus. Now, l- let me ask you guys this as songwriters. So lyrically, this song, as much as I love it, does commit to me a cardinal sin, no pun intended, where it, in the chorus, I the, something that just really drives me nuts is when there's a, a chorus or a hook of a song or something that's repeated, that's like the central thing of the song, and it's kind of like an off rhyme that doesn't exactly line up. What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us? Stuff like that. Other other songs that do that. There's so many cuts like a knife, but it hurts so right. Or, but it feels so right. <laughs> right. That Stuff bothers like that. you. Black hole sun, you. don't you're, won't you come? Uh, so you're, so you're not a fan of slant rhyming is what I'm getting. Yeah. <laughs> I, love slant. I love no rhyme, but to me, when it's the hook, when it's like the uh-huh. the main thing that like, that's where it kind of gets under my skin, just a tiny bit. So that to me is a I thought your complaint was going to be no one to call on the phone except the Pope in Rome. Similar, similar, but it's only said once, so I can kind (laughs) of... Phone in home, yeah. Hey, (laughs) we have to talk about the slob line just in general. Like, that line sticks out like a sore thumb to me. It almost... I've told this to Matt a lot of times, and, and 
Josh, I'll talk to you about this too. Sometimes I think there needs to be something ridiculous in a song that people go, like makes you turn your head for a second, like, and you might hate it at first, but then it just becomes the thing that you expect. Just a slob like one of us, that feels absolutely like your first, like, oh, I'm going to replace that. That's just going to yeah. be there for now. But then you realize like, oh, the song has to have that now, right? Yeah, it's that's, so ridiculous. That's your white boy. That's your, your I really want to want to see yeah. her in that Dish Wallace song. Like, it's like that line where you're just like, oh, that's probably what sold this song. <laughs> what right. is, was oh. the slob like one of us? And that yeah. speaks again to what we're saying, which is to me, a lot of these songs in the 90s that were huge people playing guitars, right? When I was a kid and inspired to first play guitar, it was great because all media was really built around this like alternative rock movement. So many of them sounded like literally your first song that you wrote in your bedroom, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Are, think of all the many of them are very simple progressions where it does kind of sound like when you were 12 or 13 and you first showed a song to your friend only if that song was now on the billboard you know what i mean like the yeah, biggest song at, in america peaking at number four perhaps on february 3rd 1996 would you like to know what was on that top 10 because boy pop me in a time machine and take me back this was a great <laughs> this was a great top 10 so Hanging out at number 10, we had Tony Rich Project, Nobody Knows. For more information on that, check out a past episode. (laughs) Uh, Number nine, this is the only song I genuinely don't remember on this entire top 10. Monica, Before You Walk Out of My Life. I don't remember that one either. No, no memory of that. Number eight. Yeah. Fucking banger if there ever was one. Labouche, be my lover. Be my yeah. lover. Amazing, gonna be my lover. Can, Number can seven, we do another a Labouche episode? Will we get to do No, because they also had um This is the rhythm of the oh, night. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh or wait, hold on a second. They had there they had another song. I'm thinking rhythm of the night was Corona. No, it's and rhythm the, is a dancer. Well, no, and that's snap. There was another rhythm is the night that was also Labouche. That's not the Corona song rhythm, mm-hmm. but they, they had two hits. Okay. Uh, number seven, another artist that we've covered on this show, Deep Blue Something with Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Case in point, right where you're talking about a song that feels like you could have written Literally. it and showed it to your friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, number six, one of my favorite songs of the 90s, the Goo Goo Dolls name. Just an Great. absolute fucking beautiful song. Quick fun fact, because we're never going to do a Goo Goo Dolls episode. Never was supposed to be released as a single. That's a classic like K-Rock story of the DJ being like, the B-side on this single is so much better than the A-side, so I'm just going to play that. And all of a sudden, they went from like an obscure band to one of the biggest bands of all time. Uh, number five, LL Cool J, Hey Lover. This is the Mr. Smith era of okay. LL Cool J. Uh, also on that album, Doing It, Doing It, Doing It Wow. Yeah. Number four... <laughs> Uh, Joan Osborne, one of us. Number three, another one that we'll have to do eventually on this yep. podcast, Everything But the Girl Missing. And I uh, miss you mm-hmm. like the desert missed the, miss rain. the rain. So good. Uh, n- <laughs> number two, Whitney Houston, Exhale, Shoop Shoop. Mm-hmm. And number one, I mean, the beast that could not be taken down in 1996, Mariah Carey featuring Boys to Men with One Sweet Day. Yeah. Uh, Probably my, I, I'd have to sit down and look at it, but I'm willing to bet that if I looked at every number one single in the history of Billboard Hot 100, One Sweet Day might be in my top 10 favorite number one singles in American wow. history. Cause that is, it's just an incredible song. <laughs> like that is. Yeah. Can I mention a couple other ones that were just in the charts at that time that I think yeah. could, could put this into perspective <laughs> at number 57, no doubt, just a girl. 
was in okay. there and it was on its way up. It was Oh, it was so, so the no doubt hasn't hit just yet, nope, but it's it it's creeping up. Just the- about to, right at this time, <laughs> right at right at time of Joan Osborne, no doubt is about to happen. And number thirty. It's like I remember the week. I remember the week it happened. I yeah. feel like I'm there, ma'am. <laughs> I really do. Like, I remember oh, when I saw just a girl for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, that video was like there are a few that I don't wanna I don't wanna like overhype this, but it's mm-hmm. like I wasn't a kid for when the smells like teen spirit music video apparently like dropped and like blew everybody's mind. But I feel like that just a girl video came out and it was like, it's so oversaturated in the color. And it's like the, she's alone in one room and they're climbing. Like the, it was just like this video that you could not avoid. She had the jewel on her head. Like, I think just everyone saw that video and was like, I need to know everything about this band. <laughs> like, to, to me, it goes moon landing, Beatles yeah. on Ed Sullivan, no doubt video coming. No. <laughs> no, exactly. That's the rankings. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's funny, but music, it really does take you back to that time and place. It's like you can smell the cafeteria lunch or whatever. Yeah. I remember so specifically, almost in a savant-like way, like where I was the day that I heard the Joan Osborne One of Us track. I remember exactly... What grade I was in, I was in seventh grade. There was a school dance. Then I remember what video we had rented from Blockbuster. It's so yeah. strange. What was I, it? it? Friday the Thirteenth Part Three in three D. Ooh, not a good one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was in. I was like a horror kid, and my parents yeah. were cool with like, um, you can rent an R rated movie if it's a horror movie because that's you're creative <laughs> you and it's just makeup effect. Right. The, so yeah, uh, man, I'm taking anytime I hear this song to this day, I'm taking immediately back to like that week. It's really weird man this this always brings me back to when we talk about music videos and bands from 1996 specifically what i'm reminded of is like saturday mornings waking up early going downstairs i had one of those little like in my parents house we had like one of those heaters like the little like plug-in heaters plugging that thing in in the winter putting my feet up close to it to get them warm with a blanket and i would put on mtv and it was the Brothers Grunt, which was a very uncomfortable show to watch, mm-hmm. followed by MTV Oddities The Head, and then it was the top 20 alternative video countdown. And I would just sit there and like, this. That's 100% that was when I first saw or heard this song, was it showing up on that top 20 countdown. Like That was like my Saturday morning ritual. And this is like getting up at like 6 a.m. to do this, because that shit <laughs> that aired at like 7 a.m. Yeah. But I was like, I needed to know. I needed to know what was the new the new tunes. <laughs> I'd miss Nirvana. I need it to catch the next one. <laughs> like, what, what a funny way to start the day, man. Even yeah. before before junior high in the morning, same deal, 6.30 a.m. There'd be blocks of like alternative yep. music videos on MTV. I remember what was seeing it, called? it. It had to be right around this time, too. You guys Rude just... Awakening, right? Wasn't it called Rude Awakening? Yes. I think so. Dude, that might have been a little early. Rude that was a little Awakening. 93, 94. Holy shit. And the You're VJs the... would spin like alternative, some alternative stuff, but everything sounded like, alter, you know, even R&B stuff sounded like alternative, you know? Dude, Rude Awakening. That's, yeah. wow. I haven't thought of that since then. Yeah. Eat my cereal in the morning, getting ready to go catch the bus. I, Eggo I got, waffle, yeah. I got up early. I like to get up and like take my time and eat, make breakfast and stuff in the morning, watching Rude Awakening. And I'll tell you, this is probably right around that same time. The video I remember seeing for the first time, because I already liked the band and their singer had already passed away and seeing their video on MTV, I was like, whoa, because I was in, you know, I was in like punk music, a lot of stuff you didn't see on MTV, but I saw the sublime what I got video. And I was like, oh my God, this is on MTV. I can't believe this. Probably right around this time. Um, Also, 
I wanted the other noteworthy things on the charts right here. Uh, speaking of Lilith Fair, Carnival from Natalie Merchant was number 35 at this I fucking time. fucking love which that song so I was much. The world's <laughs> biggest 10,000 Maniacs fan with Natalie Merchant. Um, yeah. So this was her solo thing. I didn't like it as much as 10,000 Maniacs, but of course I had the album Tiger Lily. Yeah, that Wonder. I yeah, mean, that was another good. one that talked about God. Wonder's good. Uh-huh. Yeah, like a mix of the Christianity Buddhist thing. That was that was sort of the vibe, right? Like yeah. almost like a non-denominational spiritual thing. Man, honestly, I think right now I'm realizing this. If I could get in a time machine and go back, I would go. I wouldn't go to Woodstock. I wouldn't go to Monterey Pop. I would literally go to a '96 or '97 Lilith Fair show. I really would. Yeah, it'd be fun. We'd have fun. Uh, at number thirty-one at this time. I made note of this just because this is another one of those huge songs this time. Glycerine from Bush. Mm-hmm. Um, at number Love 29, it. I put this because I thought this was a weird one. Natural One by Folk Implosion from the Kids soundtrack. Yeah. was yeah. That, I didn't realize it went that high. I was like, damn. Yeah, I, that's one where if you told me that it never creeped off of the alternative charts, I would have believed you. So I, I might put Folk Implosion on our on our long list now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's um, almost rules, dude. The, guy, the dude that produced that, I think Tim O'Hare, who did a bunch of stuff in the in the '90s and early 2000s. I almost worked with on a on a record in the early wow. 2000s. So he had all kinds of cool stuff to say about folk implosion. Yeah, the, I mean they they had a song. I think it was them because it was called Deluxe Folk Implosion. But on the soundtrack, it was the song is like really thrashy and aggressive, and it said, "Daddy never understood." Boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom. Do you guys remember this song? Because I can't even find it on YouTube. Uh, but anyway, uh, two other songs on the charts at this time. Number 23, Matt's preference. He's wrong. But As I Lay Me Down by Sophie B. Hawkins. Uh, and number 18, <laughs> only because the song, the song that will never die, Wonderwall at that time. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, so that was the charts at the time. But there were a couple of things I wanted to ask you guys. Just in general, spawned by this song. First of all, I'll start with you, Josh. If God had a name, what would it be? <laughs> I'm gonna put you on the spot. I can tell you my. I can tell you what made me laugh out loud to myself last night while while you're thinking, if you want. <laughs> Let me think. Well, I mean, I know you know. I've studied enough to know what that name could be or Ooh. what it should be, right? Yeah. But I, I, I won't say it. I don't know. Maybe it's. Well, may, let me put it this way: When I'm listening to that song, the name of God is Joan. Right, because I am just I am in reverence of oh, Joan Osborne. Wow. So maybe wow. it's it's a self referential thing. Okay. To me, as I listen to that song, the name I see is Joan. All right. I like that answer. That's a good answer. How about you, Matt? Gary. Gary, okay. I figured it'd be something <laughs> I figured it'd be something like that. That what made me laugh last night I was thinking, like, what would it be? And I thought like <laughs> the most ridiculous name for God would be Tim. Like, oh, I'm, I'm Tim. But then I took, I don't know why this made me laugh so hard, but I thought like, well, Tim, is that short for something? He'd be like, oh yeah, it's actually Timothy B. Schmidt. Not the guy from the Eagles. I'm actually, I'm God, <laughs> but I'm Timothy B. Schmidt. That made me laugh. Josh, what would you ask God if you had just one question? I would ask God in the Sopranos episode, Ooh. Pine Barrens, what happens to the, the, the Russian guy that they're looking for in the woods? Wow, what a great answer. <laughs> what right? a great answer. I love it. Wow. Dude, great. What about you, Matt? Are there aliens? Okay. I feel like I can answer <laughs> that one for you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's if it's infinite, they're there somewhere. 
I, anyway. I want the definitive. I okay. want to know what their names are. <laughs> I just want all the definitive information. <laughs> I think I would say, can you hook me, my friends, and my family up with eternal life and infinite wealth? <laughs> I, I, I feel like his answer would probably be like, no, but I'm like, all right. I, I had to ask. I, I figure you're, you're, you can do whatever. Um, my, and my last question for you guys, Josh, is if God had a face, what would it look like? Hmm. It would probably look well. It would probably be kind of weathered, right? Because this is like an old, an an old being, mm-hmm. I think, right? And he's so in maybe, the weather, like he's in the clouds and stuff. So yeah, I think so maybe well, probably like Keith Richards. I imagine God okay. would probably look like Keith Richards, someone who's experienced things, someone who clearly the the lines on their face uh, are are a facade for all the the knowledge that they have. Right. Love it. All right. I was thinking more like the guy who played Dumbledore in the first two Harry Potter movies. You know, like a very like Merlin, decrepit, long beard kind of, the guy, the, the traditional drawing of God, I guess. But like, I don't know. I, I, I see, I see just long beard, talks in riddles. <laughs> like, can't get a straight answer out of the guy type vibe. I, the, there were, I had three different answers. I said, if God happens to be like a super handsome guy, I pictured God, <laughs> John Ham. John, you know, that's where my literally my brain went to John Ham. When you said that. John Ham, yeah, John, yeah, John Ham would be a decent God. Actually, you might have <laughs> changed my mind on the, on my answer. <laughs> but my handsome, my handsome God would probably be that actor. I don't even know how you say his name. It's like Gael Garcia Bernal, the guy from the Science of Sleep and the Motorcycle Diaries. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about. He's like a real hot yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it was a woman, I thought. Look, I thought maybe Diane Lane. Yeah. Diane wow. Lane, I think, would be a great god. And if it's an old man, I figured Wilford Brimley. I figured having a Brimley, a Brimley up there might be kind of cool, right? For sure. Would, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I support that. Okay. <laughs> so, um, oh, one more story I have for you guys. This is, makes me... I have to tell that I have to tell this. It's not much of a story, but when we had Eric Bazillion on the Chris to makes a podcast, he's just the nicest, coolest guy ever. I've seen all the work he's done. I felt like when he told the story behind the Hooters, I felt like a real, I don't know what kinship or something. I felt like his story was like, I could relate that to like punchline or something. Just, I was like, I feel like this guy is like, the Hooters are what punchline would have been if we existed 20 years earlier or something. I just felt like this, connection to this guy he was like just so well spoken and so nice and whatever and then when it was i never do this we've had all these guests i never do this but after it was done i got the the nerve up i'm like you know what he's in philly i think it'd be awesome if he like produced my band like i feel like that'd be so cool i'm gonna take a shot i'm gonna send him a couple songs and be like and i was just like wrote the nicest email like dude i you know I just, I don't know if you're still producing bands, but I think it'd be so cool. Here's a couple songs. He never wrote me back. <laughs> and I, I felt real dejected. I was like, oh man, now I feel embarrassed. I like, maybe I crossed the line. Is he still line. actively, is he still actively like producing and stuff? You know, I saw that he had produced, I forget who it was, but it was somebody like in our world. Yeah, I could see that being a really cool collaboration, man. For sure. That would make makes total sense to me. Maybe he just doesn't check his email that often or something. Or maybe he just had a lot of emails. But I was that's like the one time I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go out on a yeah. limb. I know this is a little unprofessional, but I'm just gonna like hit him up and oh well. <laughs>
I still love, I still think he's awesome. We'll we'll tag him in this episode so we can hear the story. Again. <laughs> yeah, maybe he'll check the spam. He'll check the yeah. spam folder. Yeah, yeah, I went you know? straight to spam. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy, and getting to eat restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. It is mind-blowing and heartbreaking how many original scripts are written every year but are never made. So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! I think we're at that point of the episode where we have to decide, did Joan Osborne bring the one-hit thunder or was she a one-hit blunder? We'll start with you, Josh. How do you feel? Well, absolute one hit thunder, but I will also say, I think sometimes people and artists are just very properly rated. They're not overrated. They're not underrated. And there are Mm -hmm. many times where I'm almost surprised because I'm pretty critical about stuff, but I'll be surprised that there's an artist that is rated so highly by people that didn't have a lot of commercial success. And the narrative is always like, I can't understand why they didn't have commercial success. And nine times out of 10, to me, I'll always be like, well, I, I kind of feel like they're like exactly where they should have been in a good way. Bands like that are like big star, right? I don't know if that's controversial mm-hmm. on this podcast, but I, I came up in the music world with a lot of people who who loved big star, right? And it was always like, yeah, they're one of those bands that sold 400 records, but every person that bought that album went on to be Jeff Tweedy or whatever, yeah. you know? I think and, the people who grew up loving Big Star were better artists than Big Star, ultimately. <laughs> like, totally, like, yeah. As, as controversial as that is to say, but like... And an, another, not to take this on a tangent, another artist that kind of does strike me that way, where I just, I'm at an age where I just kind of missed it, and I almost don't get it, I try, is R.E.M., right? Mm-hmm. I know R.E.M. is huge. I grew up at the tail end. I caught like the giant major label REM and I never really got into the IRS records or whatever, the, the earlier 80s stuff. But to me, that's another 
band or I'm like, well, no, they seem to be pretty much right. You know, to me, it, it, it can almost be hard to discern that from other like kind of college rock stuff as much as I think it's it's wonderful. Yeah. And then I guess maybe the final example of that, and I'm a huge Velvet Underground. I, I love the Velvet Underground. I really like Lou Reed. But to me, all the talk of like, they're this giant influential thing from from the mid to late 60s that then influenced people to do stuff. To me, I can see all kinds of reasons why like Velvet Underground is to me kind of right where it should be because it's almost like intentionally unattractive stuff. And the person who's singing for the most part isn't like a technically great singer. So it's never going to really catch on in the same way. So jump to Joan Osborne and I'm like, I think we already said Joan seems to have had by all accounts and what I've seen like this amazing, amazing career when I was in college. Um, she, as you said, was touring with the dead or, or the other, whatever it was called, the other ones, right? Just such a cool career that absolute, this track is one hit thunder. Um, that said, I would say, I think Joan overall, from what I've seen is probably like perfect, maybe underrated, right? But, but pretty well rated and seems to have had an amazing, awesome career that 99.9% .9 of us could only dream of, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think you're right. Uh, I'm I'm gonna throw thunder on on the song and her. I think that the song itself. I think that one of us is a great song, and I think Joan is the reason why it's a great song. But I think it's also a bad example of what Joan's music actually is. So I can kind of understand like people who maybe really like this song and then picked up the album, being like, "What the what the hell is the rest of this?" But if you're someone who is into like kind of a more bluesier soulful stuff like check out right hand man check out spider web and ladder and like if those songs you dig you'll probably dig everything that joan osborne has ever put out from that point but if if you're just kind of into one of us this is the only song you really you really need in your life get the maxi single yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah get that single and call it a day hey uh i i started laughing when he said that matt we gotta start using the expression <laughs> throw thunder on my name. <laughs> throw well, thunder that, on my name. I that was already an established catchphrase. I was like, yeah. I wish I knew that. I would have said something about. But that was throw... something you just came up with. That's fantastic. <laughs> I want to throw thunder on her name. <laughs> I'll throw thunder on her name too. I think you know the songs. I actually like the song more now than I did then. And I think you know, just as you as you grow and age and mature. I think at the time, I, I bring this up way too much, but I was really in the thick of loving punk rock music only at this point. I, 95, 96, I, you know, I was just a, I was a punker, man. What do you want from me? But yeah. in retrospect, I think this song, I'll throw thunder on Joan's name. And also, I'd like to throw thunder on Josh's name a little bit here because my friend Josh right here is an amazing performer and songwriter and just vocalist all all around and josh would you please talk i want to talk about your music a little bit and i want to tell the listeners where to check out your music you play in a band called meeting of important people amazing band but where can we find you, what you do yeah we do <laughs> what what do you what do? you do what would you say <laughs> yeah you can visit meeting of important people.com or on any spotify apple music stuff just put in meeting of important people look at those top five songs that have the most plays and and that's probably the best way these days those are the ones yeah, yeah. those are probably <laughs> those are probably the ones where i guess i can announce it here we after that event that we played with mm -hmm. with your band uh, six weeks ago or something, we were a little rejuvenated. So we are going to be working on a new 
full album for the first time in years. So Hell hopefully yeah. by the end of 2023, we'll have a new meeting of important people full length. That is that's and we'll, awesome. Uh, and we'll probably have you back to promote when that comes out. If so. you would like to do that. I would hey, love that. Uh, hey, anytime. Man. Matt, at our show, at our show that we played together, mm-hmm. um, we have there was an artist in attendance that we have to do an episode about, which Josh, you should, I thought you were going to choose that. It's not disrespectful to call someone a one hit wonder, by the way, we take that as a whatever, but yeah, on a technique, we're talking about Donnie Iris, right? But on yeah. a technicality, cause we have both the Jaggers and so maybe just as a solo performer, didn't he have two kind of top? Well, what's it called? Love is like a rock. And also, oh. uh, Aliyah. Yeah. He might I- have, I only didn't bring him up because I thought maybe he he might technically have two, if not three, actual pretty. I just assumed hits. you were going to mention Rusted Root. <laughs> oh no 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 uh, no! Uh, Donnie Iris, who just turned eighty yeah. as we're recording this, it's like big Pittsburgh news. <laughs> he was at, at the show. I guess did mm-hmm. did you know he was coming or something? Or did do you have do you know him? I didn't know a why. little bit. We know Donnie. I sing a lot of. I'll do like benefit events randy bauman at the dv morning show um which is one of our big kind of classic rock stations in pittsburgh we'll do these incredible benefit shows and and um, children's hospital telethon so i've done different things where i've been in singing like rolling stones cover nights right. and and donnie will be there and stuff but i have a great memory we played a, a christmas event one time for local radio and uh we were playing father christmas by the kinks yeah because right? it was a, a holiday event and as we were playing, I looked to the side of the stage and Donnie Iris, who was maybe 75 at that point, was hanging on the edge of the stage, rocking out to our <laughs> drummer. He was glued to watching our drummer, Matt Miller. And it was this, to me, this beautiful Pittsburgh memory because right. you know, Donnie Iris wouldn't have to be s- sitting there glued to, a, glued to a musician. I could just see it was so genuine. He really loved watching Matt Miller play drums. And that That's- was like. That's like a Pittsburgh memory to me. That's so he, really he cool. does have two top 40 hits. Yeah. Um, Aliyah hit 20, uh, 29. Love is like a rock hit 37 on the Billboard charts. Uh, but I did want to, <laughs> I did want to call out that his most recent album, uh, which is now 13 years old, came out and it was called Ali Lula, Lula, uh, like a hallelujah. But, <laughs> but <laughs> nice. <laughs> love, I love a good uh, play on words. <laughs> it rolled right off the tongue, as you can yeah. tell. Ali <laughs> Lula. been one hit thunder one hit thunder is hosted by chris Fafalios of the band's punchline pack and another cheetah and produced by matt kelly of geekscape.net underneath me you're hearing honey this is nothing new off the punchline album lion visit punchlion.com for merch tour dates and news we're on patreon now become a patron and get bonus content early episodes and a chance to vote on future episodes at patreon.com backslash oht podcast do you want to start a podcast Contact Chris and myself at WeKnowPodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for more One Hit Thunder.
Geekscape Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, you. Did you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020 where myself benny goodman and my good friends Corey pays and siobhan cronin from the band lost symphony also got 2020 and since the world ended this year we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing we're gonna get a candid look at life on and off the stage as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry new episodes drop every sunday and wednesday at 9 p.m eastern and you can listen at 2020-d.com soundtalentmedia.com or on your favorite podcast app.